everything on this temporal plane comes to an end. Sometimes situations seem like they'll go on forever, while some end suddenly, and yet others end in their expected season. The Bible calls it the fullness of times. From gestation to infancy and childhood to puberty and adulthood, from careers, marriage, and parenting to empty nesting and retirement, and finally on to the deathbed, all in its fullness of times. These situations come and go, but there is a fruit that they yield, and it has eternal consequence. Whether it's the sins of the father visited up to the third and fourth generation onto one's own deeds, there is a fruit. Dangerous landmines have been placed by the enemy of your soul along the way, waiting for the unsuspecting to trip one. These landmines can be very hard to detect. In the military, a minesweeper is employed to move ahead of the ground troops. Its job is to destroy those deadly mines. We need someone to sweep away those deadly landmines, and that someone is Jesus Christ. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. At this place, Jesus calls born again, everything begins anew. All of the sins of your parents, along with your own sins, are washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. At the place called born again, you are literally born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God, and everything changes. Have you been born again? Make your move for Jesus Christ today, and your sins and Satan's evil baggage will be washed away. Today, all of the devil's bondages will be broken. Today, you will be born a second time, and your new life begins with a new father and a new name, which will be recorded on your new birth certificate in the Lamb's Book of Life. At Born Again, eternal purpose and promise is yours. Follow me in a simple prompt, and the immortality process begins now. Here we go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis 6, 1 through 8. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the men uh, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repent of me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
God said, Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. God said, Deuteronomy 3.11, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. Man said, The Bible reminds me of Jack and the Beanstalk and Aesop's fables. Certainly all modern erudite thinkers have cast off this outdated book. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1052 that will for the 1,052nd time certify the pure inerrancy of God's Holy Bible. All of these features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the building up of the faith and as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. God bless you and your house. The world's wise have scoffed at the Bible's insistence that giants, even entire tribes of giants, once roamed the earth. The scriptures reference giants nearly 200 times. Does secular history support such fantastical claims? Is there a very clear and credible record? The simple answer is, of course, there is leaving one to question why the academic elite neglect to draw attention to such interesting material. Could it be that giants played a deadly and pivotal role in God's judgment on the earth in the form of the devastating global flood in the days of Noah? Do keep in mind that part of academia's reluctance stems from this simple fact. If there was truly a global flood— just under 4,400 years ago, then evolution's foundational doctrine of uniformitarianism is destroyed, and their billions of years only exist in the imagination of the ungodly, which, by the way, is the case. Or could it be that the existence of giants in history adds credibility to pseudoscience's archenemy, the Holy Bible? Do the spellbinding biblical stories of Og, the king of the giants, and David and Goliath suddenly become real historic issues? Or could it be that the Genesis account of the fallen sons of God is causing serious problems for the academics, like the very certifiable existence of God, angels, <laughs> and devils? Why are giants conspicuously absent from academia's commentary? You can be sure the answer is all of the above. Where did these giants come from? Genesis 6, verse 1 through 4. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. 
The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. An unholy alliance took place between the fallen sons of God, who took unto themselves daughters of men, and the outcome of their unholy union was giants and men of renown. Noah Webster's 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language defines renown, fame, celebrity, exalted reputation derived from extensive praise of great achievements or accomplishments, end of quote. Ancient mythology speaks of the demagogues of old who were half divine and half human, possessing noteworthy skills. One of the most famous of those demigods who comes to mind is Hercules. Webster defines demigod, half-god, one partaking of the divine nature, a fabulous hero produced by the cohabitation of a deity with a mortal. Read Genesis 6, 2 through 4 again. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for thee also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Prior to the global flood, the Bible describes a situation that earned the word demigod its definition. The giants, the entire human population of the earth, along with everything that had the breath of life in its nostrils, were destroyed by the global flood. Only that which was on Noah's ark was exempt. The fallen sons of God, on the other hand, those who cohabitated with women, would not have been destroyed by the flood. These fallen ones were not mortals. Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 appears to refer to these fallen sons of God. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, and set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. These fallen ones participate in the same spirit of those of Sodom and Gomorrah, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. In spite of the above, giants reappear after the flood. The Bible teaches that Noah was perfect in his generations, no devil activity. Genesis 6, 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Was there a genetic link to these giants hiding in Noah's wife or his daughters-in-law? Equally perplexing, did a group of the sons of God fall again after the flood? As far as I know, the scriptures are silent on this matter, but I'll keep my eyes peeled. Nevertheless, giants arise again after the flood. Note, the word Nephilim was popularized by the minority text New International Version of the Bible, and Nephilim simply means giants. 
It is correctly rendered from Hebrew to English in the majority text, authorized King James Version of the Bible as giants. Nephilim are giants. Excerpts from God Said, Man Said features follow that will certify the perfect reliability of the Bible's record regarding giants. From the God Said, Man Said feature, Giants 2. Confessing Christians have been busy running from the Word of God and dodging biblical truths such as the 6,000-plus-year-old earth, fire-breathing dragons, fiery-flying serpents, the reptilian sea monster Leviathan, the dinosaur behemoth, the walls of Jericho, the missing day, the virgin birth, the resurrection, Christ's ascension, his returning, and on and on. It's really an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there were giants in those days. When discussing giants of old and people of enormous height, many people today lump these two together, referring to such terms as gigantism or uh, acromegaly, a rare disorder of the pituitary gland which causes abnormal size. But the giants of the scriptures were not rare genetic flukes. There were entire populations of giants. The scriptures refer to giants nearly 200 times. If the Word of God makes mentions of giants so many times, then there should be empirical proof that they did once exist. And, of course, there is. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 13, Moses speaks concerning the dividing of part of conquered Canaan among the Israelites. It reads, And the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob, with all Bashan, which was called the land of the giants. It was the land of the giants. God reminds backslidden and rebellious Israel of their roots in Amos chapter 2, verse 9. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. Perhaps the first museum was in Raboth of the children of Ammon, where Og's bed remained. If he used the 18-inch cubit, his bed would be 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide, or based on the 22-inch cubit, 16 and a half feet long, and seven feet four inches wide. Give him a foot for head and toe clearance, and you have a giant of twelve and a half to fifteen and a half feet tall. It is reported that German scholar Gustav Daumann discovered the bed of the giant king just where God said it sat. When the spies that Moses sent across Jordan returned, they alarmed the people with a story of ferocious giants, Numbers 13.33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Og, the king of the giants, ruled over sixty cities. God delivered the race of giants into the hand of the seed of Jacob, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Flavius Josephus, one of the greatest historians of all time, writes the following in chapter 5 of the Antiquities of the Jews. 
For which reason they removed their camp to Hebron, and when they had taken it, they slew all the inhabitants. There were till then left the race of giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day, unlike to any credible relations of other men." End of quote. According to the research collected by Deloche, author of the book Giants, you'll find this information. Pliny mentions that in the reign of Claudius, A.D. 41 to 54, a nine-foot, nine-inch giant named Gabarus was brought to Rome from Arabia. Claudius placed him at the head of the famed Adude legions. The giant so awed his troops that some worshipped him as a god. And again, during his principate, Caesar Augustus, 27 B.C. to A.D. 14, assigned two giants who towered over 10 feet tall to lead the Roman armies into battle. On account of this remarkable height, writes Pliny, the bodies of the two giants were preserved in the tomb in the Cellus Gardens. Their name was Pusio and Secundula, end of quote. Finally, from De Roche, the following excerpt. In 1970, some huge fossilized footprints that he found in Australia's outback so intrigued Dr. Rex Gilroy, director of the Mount York Natural History Museum at Mount Victory NSW, that he began excavations in that area. Over the years, he gathered enough evidence to convince himself that a race of giants once dwelt there. Near Bathurst, Dr. Gilroy turned up some stone implements, hand axes, clubs, pounders, adz, knives, and also tools so huge that only giants with extra-large hands and strength could have made any beneficial use of them. He also uncovered some giant molars and other fossilized, uh, fossilized footprints that measured up to 30 inches in length. The implications are, he wrote in an article detailing his archaeological finds, that men of 12 to 20 feet in height once roamed this continent. Marzulli, in his book on the Trail of the Nephilim, lists numerous newspaper reports concerning discovery of giants in the Western Hemisphere. A few of the many headlines and excerpts follow. New York Tribune, February 3. 1909. Skeleton, 15 feet high, unearthed in Mexico. News was received here Monday from Mexico that Extapalapa, a town of 10 miles southeast of Mexico City, there had been discovered what was believed to be the skeleton of a prehistoric giant of extraordinary size. A person, while excavating for the foundation of a house, on the estate of Augustine Juarez, found a skeleton of a human being that is estimated to have been about 15 feet high and who must have lived ages ago, judging from the ossified state of the bones. The discovery of the skeleton has revived the old Aztec legend that in a prehistoric age, a race of giants lived in the Valley of Anahuk, a name, a name given by the aboriginal Mexicans to that part of the Mexican plateau nearly corresponding to the modern valley of Mexico City. Scientific American, August 14, 1880, page 106, 
ancient American giants. The Reverend Stephen Bowers notes in the Kansas City Review of Science the opening of an interesting mound in Brush Creek Township, Ohio. The mound was opened by the Historical Society of the Township under the immediate supervision of Dr. J. F. Everhart of Zanesville. It measured 64 by 35 feet at the summit, gradually sloping in every direction, and was 8 feet in height. There was found in it a sort of clay coffin, including the skeleton of a woman measuring 8 feet in length. Within this coffin was found also the skeleton of a child, about three and a half feet in length, and an image that crumbled when exposed to the atmosphere. In another grave was found the skeleton of a man and a woman, the former measuring nine and the latter eight feet in, in length. In the third grave occurred two other skeletons, male and female, measuring respectively nine feet four inches and eight feet. Seven other skeletons were found in the mound, the smallest of which measured eight feet, while others reached the enormous length of ten feet. The Vancouver Sun, August 18, 1922, page 9, headline, Primitive Man, Ten Feet Tall as Unearthed. Mexico City, August 17, the Department of Agriculture yesterday received from an agent of Tiburon Island, Gulf of California, the skeleton of a primitive man more than 10 feet tall. It was found a few days ago. Other bones of similar size have been encountered. Anaconda Standard, April 29, 1890, page 3. The Pony Express says that one day last week, carpenters on the Isdale Irrigating Ditch unearthed a skeleton of mammoth proportions. By actual measurement, it was 13 feet and 2 inches in length. The circum circumference of the skull, when measured, was found to be 37 inches. The feet were 21 inches in length. This is the second discovery of this kind made near Pony during the past year. Ed Sparrow, while sinking a shaft on his mine near Richmond Flats last June, exhumed a skeleton of even larger proportions than the one in question. From the thigh down, it measured 5 feet and 3 inches and was 17 feet in height. It is supposed that these skeletons are the descendants of the historical tribe of giants known as Polos. The curiosity is now on exhibition in Dr. Cooper's office. The Times-Dispatch, February 11, 1907, page 8, headline, Giant's Tooth. This discovery recalls that six months ago, the skeleton of a giant was discovered in a cave near Bristol by workmen who were operating a stone quarry. The bones showed their former uh, possessor to have been fully 10 feet in height. E.C. Huffaker, formerly of the Smithsonian Institution, expressed the opinion that this skeleton was that of a prehistoric giant. End of quotes. Oh, there were tribes of giants in the Bible, all right, namely the descendants of Anak, the Anakims, a grouping of the Amorites, the Emims, the Zamzumims, and, of course, the famed Goliath slain by one smooth stone. The accuracy of the Scriptures is continually challenged, but never bested, never. God's Word is a place to build a life that will last forever. End of quotes. From the God said, man said feature, and there we saw giants, the sons of Anak. 
Was somebody already home when the Western Hemisphere's Native Americans came knocking? According to them, there was. Again, from Marzulli's interview with Dr. Judkins. Question. Native Americans claim there was a race of giant people who were here before them. What are your thoughts in that regard? Answer. The North American Indians, especially the Chippewa, Sandusky, Tawa, Iroquois, a Cherokee, Choctaw, and Hopi tribes believe that there was a race of giant beings before them. My great-grandmother was full-blooded Choctaw Indian. The Choctaw legend tells that after they crossed the Mississippi River, they encountered a powerful white race of cannibal giants who came from the east and used mammoths as beasts of burden, but were in decline when the Choctaw came. In the autobiography of uh, William Buffalo Bill Cody, Cody writes that while camping on the South Platte, a Pawnee Indian came into the camp with what the army surgeon pronounced to be a giant thigh bone of a human being. When Cody asked about where such a bone might have come from, the Indian replied that long ago a race of giants had lived in the area that were 15 feet tall. This race of men were three times larger than normal men and able to outrun a buffalo and even carry it in one hand. Buffalo Bill also wrote the following words about a legend recounted to him by members of the Sioux tribe. It was taught by the wise men of this tribe that the earth was originally peopled by giants who were fully three times the size of modern men. They were so swift and powerful that they could run alongside a buffalo, take the animal under one arm, and tear off a leg and eat it as they ran. So vainglorious were they because of their own size and strength that they denied the existence of a creator. When it lighted, they proclaimed their superiority to the lightning. When it thundered, they laughed. This displeased the great spirit, and to rebuke their arrogance, he sent a great rain upon the earth. The valleys filled with water, and the giants retreated to the hills. The water crept up the hills, and the giants sought safety on the highest mountains. Still the rain continued, the waters rose, and the giants, having no other refuge, were drowned. End of quote. The book Echoes of Ararat, written by N. Ligori, documents over 300 ancient, non-biblical societal records of the flood from North and South America alone. Nearly all of these accounts are from the oral tradition passed down from father to son, and captured on the written page by explorers, missionaries, and historians. The similarities to the biblical accounts in these records are striking. All, all, I said, report a devastating flood. Thirty accounts refer to the raven, dove, and olive leaf. Five have rainbows. Twenty-one recount the migration that followed the flood. Twenty-one mention the confusion of languages that occurred at Babel. Four refer, uh, refer to subterranean fountains. One record even tells of the long day of Joshua, and 18 accounts report wicked giants who played such a deadly part in the judgment that fell upon the entire earth, specifically Noah's flood. Several paragraphs from Echoes of Ararat follow. The Netslick Intuit told the explorer Nud Ramusson about the great flood which drowned all but two people, the Inuit of Baffin, Island in the Arctic region north of Hudson Bay, told the early explorers of a great flood, 
which submerged even the high mountains. As evidence of this flood, they pointed to the bones of whales, seals, and fish, which had been found on top of the local mountains. Even in Greenland, the natives in the 1730s told the early Moravian missionaries about the ancient flood, which had been sent because God was displeased with mankind, destroying all but one man. They also related that the first man was created from the earth, and the first woman was created from his body, specifically from his thumb. The hairskin also know as Sayu, and what they told Dr. Tachi in 1852 made mention of a race of fallen beings, possibly giants, that lived before the flood. From this flood, four persons escaped, along with several animals and birds, by means of a floating island. In 1870, the Quichin, or Kuchin people, told the missionary Emil Petot their tradition about their ancestor, an old man called the Mariner, who survived the global flood inside of a large, hollow, straw-sealed watertight. They pointed to the mountain where they say he landed in the Rocky Mountains of extreme northwest Canada, a place which they called the place of the old man. The airskin, also known as Chateau, told an account of the flood to the Catholic missionary, Dr. Tache, in 1852. He wrote, These savages had retained some of the leading notions of the history of the human race, besides a vague tradition of the creation and of the fall of man through the woman, and this tradition is connected with the narrative transmitted by Moses and agrees with him in stating, There were giants on the earth, the waters overflowed and covered the surface of the earth, men were afterwards dispersed into all regions. This is not without a parallel in Native American tradition. A Lakota chief named Pipe Carrier told, They fell from the heavens in the ancient times. They took our women. They were not washed good. And there are some who continue to visit Turtle Island today. Joseph Riverwind, a Taino chief and author, then shared the tradition of his tribe regarding these fallen ones. Pipe Carrier confirmed what I have heard from many other tribal leaders. My father told me that there was a great battle in the sky world where good spirits and bad spirits were fighting over another. The bad spirits were thrown down from the heavens down to the earth below where they made themselves out to be gods. These star people took our women by force, and the resulting children became the race of giants that we read about in historical accounts from cultures around the world, including the Bible. Interestingly enough, the repeating similarity is these beings came from the sky, took the human women, and produced the race of giants. A.B. Meacham 1826 to 1882, the Oregon superintendent of Indian Affairs knew the Modoc, a powerful tribe of northeastern California and southern Oregon. He knew them well and was wounded by them in a failed peace attempt in 1873. He recorded their flood tradition in his 1876 work, Wainima, which means the woman chief. The Modoc tradition recites the history of the deluge, that it was sent to destroy the human family except one pair, that before the deluge the people were very much larger than the present race. They are represented in this tradition uh, to have been 12 to 15 feet in height and of proportionate weight, hence they were destructive. God had warned them against killing each other, threatening to destroy them, but his warning was disregarded. 
The Washu tribe near Lake Tahoe say there were giants before the flood. The Cochita, a Pueblo people of New Mexico, narrated a, remar- narrated, excuse me, a remarkable flood tradition, which differs from the Genesis account only in minor details. Instead of an olive leaf, the pigeon returned carrying a flower. The Owens Valley Paiute claimed that pre-flood artifacts were found on high mountains. The Pawnee of Nebraska told G.B. Grinnell in 1870 of the flood which the creator Tarawa sent to destroy a wicked race of giants whose bones they claimed to have found in canyons and underground. A tribe of the White Mountains area of New Hampshire told John Jocelyn in 1663 how a man and his wife in ancient times foresaw the coming flood. According to these natives, the pair fled to the White Mountains for refuge, taking only a rabbit. Later he set loose the rabbit, and when it was no longer returned to him, he knew the flood had receded. The Passamacotti and Pensacot tribes of Maine and New Brunswick have traditions in which their chief deity sent a flood to destroy a rebellious race of giants. Finally, in Echoes of Ararat, you'll find the following words under the heading Hidalgo State. In his Relation de la Nation Toltica, produced between 1600 and 1608, a Mestizo historian, Iso Coquitl, wrote thus concerning the Toltec's history and their account of the flood and the Tower of Babel. They say that the world was brought up in the year of C. Tecpalto, and this period, until the flood they call Adanuath, meaning the age of the water sun because the world was destroyed by the flood. We find in the stories of the Taltecs that this first age and world, as they call it, lasted 1,716 years, the Bible reports 1,656 years, that the men were destroyed with great showers and lightning from the sky, and the entire world and the highest mountains were submerged beneath the water uh, for cactomotilus, uh, that is 15 cubits deep. Genesis uh, 7.20 reports 15 cubits. And to this they also add other fables and of how the few who escaped from this destruction uh, within a tolapila colony, <laughs> which uh, almost means an enclosed ark multiplied again. And afterwards, the men multiplied and made a very high zakulai, and it was this, which means the highest tower at which they sought to find shelter when the second world would be destroyed. In times, the languages were changed, and not understanding each other, the people went to different parts of the world. And the Toltecs, who were seven companions with their women, who understood the language, came to these parts having first passed through great lands and seas, living in the caves and enduring great difficulties before coming to this land that they found good and fertile for their habitation. And they say that they lived 104 years in different parts of the world before arriving in Huhutelapelan, which was in the age of Si Tecpatl, which was 520 years after the flood had passed, which are five ages. Next, the Katakotl, who wrote about the flood in another passage, mentioning also an antediluvian race of giants. The Toltecs were second settlers of this land after the destruction of the giants 
especially in this corner, which today is called New Spain. These Toltecs had knowledge of the creation of the world and how it was destroyed by the deluge and many other things which they had in painting and history. These also touched on the end of the world and how it is to be destroyed by fire, end of quotes. God said man said has cataloged much more concerning giants, and we surely have not exhausted the available material. There were giants, all right, just like God's book said. Psalms 2, 1 through 4, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The ungodly rail upon holy writ to their own miserable demise. It should be noted that in regard to their incessant caterwauling, it is required of them by their father, the devil. He will have it no other way. There is only one way of escape from this inherited bondage, to die to your carnal father and be born again to your new heavenly father. Click on the further with Jesus and end the deadly spiral while you still have time. The end approaches. God said, Genesis 6, 1 through 8, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And he repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God said, Numbers thirteen thirty three, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. God said, Deuteronomy three eleven, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. Man said, The Bible reminds me of Jack and the Beanstalk and Aesop's fables. Certainly all modern, erudite thinkers have cast off this outdated book. Now you have the record.